0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. My home is not not in this world. Good morning everyone. So I just want to start this morning by sharing, um, I went back, Elizabeth, Max, Grace and I, we went back to Northern Ireland where I'm from, was about two weeks ago. And when we arrived, we walk into my parents' house and we had a meal, well, not quite a meal, kind of brunch. We had uh, fried bacon, lovely fried bacon, fried eggs, all right, and you might not get this, but on beautiful fried Irish soda bread. Oh. Option of HP sauce or ketchup, Um, and then tea with it, but not just any old tea. Tea with milk from the fresh from the cows on my dad's farm. It's the thickest, creamiest tea you will ever have in your life. There's like a there's like a like a layer of cream on the top. I mean, it's full, 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 full fat milk. It was awesome, Elizabeth. My wife, she's a city girl. She couldn't handle it. We have to actually buy in milk from the shop so that she can have her tea. But I was loving it. And uh, yeah, we had a lovely meal. It was like our first meal back at home. And we all enjoyed it. But, you know, I think different to Elizabeth, Max and Grace, for me, this meal, it was different for me. It was kind of more than a meal for me. Because there was like a like an emotional kind of connection to it. You know, I've had it so many times in, in my childhood and my upbringing. And eating that meal, bacon, eggs, soda, creamy tea, just reminded me of my childhood. Reminded me of upbringing. Reminded me where I've come from. And, and in a strange sense, reminded me a little bit of who I am. And perhaps you can think of meals like that for you. Meals that were more than just about the food you know there's there, there was a, like an emotional connection to the meal. Like it took you back you know maybe you went on like a really nice holiday somewhere and then you have that kind of food like after you come back and you just like ah, oh, you're like transported back to there i remember we went on holiday to turkey and then after a few months after coming back we went to the venus supermarket in rush home they've got a little turkish restaurant we went there and we were like Ah, this is so good. We're in Turkey again. Just be, oh, Everyone just felt like we were there again. So, maybe some of you have you've felt like that. Maybe some of you, a little bit like me, you've gone back to where you're from and there's like a meal that just takes you back to your, your upbringing, your background, and, and just in a sense maybe even reminds you a little bit of, of who you are. Meals can do that sometimes. And this morning we're going to look at a meal that does just that. We're going to look this morning at the Last Supper. The last meal Jesus had before going to the cross. Hence the name, The Last Supper. And at this meal, he took bread, he took wine, and and he told us to keep having this meal to remind us what he did and to, in a sense, kind of take us back there. And for us as Christians, this meal reminds us of our identity. It reminds us also, actually, in a sense, who we are. That's what this meal reminds us of. And what I'd love for us to do today, real simply, okay, now, this is not the the most well thought up gimmicky sermon title ever. This really all I want us to do today is to understand the significance of the lo- the last supper in a fresh way. I was like, saying to Elizabeth like Elizabeth, I need a snappy sermon title for this. I-, I can't stand up and say I'm preaching on understanding the significance of the Last Supper. I need something like, you know, gimmicky or Elizabeth, just just preach that. I was like, okay, so that is what we're doing today. Understanding the significance of the Last Supper. Now today is the last in our Meals with Jesus sermon series, which we've been looking over the last couple of months, where we've been basically looking at different meals people have had with Jesus and what happened at those meals and the interactions. It's been really good to see how people interacted with Jesus, what he said. It's been, it's been a great series, but I think it's, it's fitting that we finish this series with the big one, you know? the meal of all meals, the the most famous meal that's ever been eaten in the history of the world, the Last Supper, a meal that's so packed with so much meaning and significance to do with redemption history. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say the key to understanding Christianity and what it's all about is actually just understanding this meal. If you understand what this meal, the Last Supper, is all about, You understand Christianity. That's how important this meal is. So I'm just going to read the passage. Uh, We're going to read from Luke 22, verse 7 to 23. It's one of three accounts of the Last Supper in the Gospel. It says this, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Verse 12, he will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves, which of them it might be who would do this. So there, there you have it, the account of the last supper. It's not everything that happened at that meal on that evening, but it's the key events, what Jesus said and how he reinterpreted it. So, if we want to understand the significance of the Last Supper what we we 've got to do first it 's really important for us to understand the passover okay so again in the in the theme of um, really gimmicky. Um, you know fun uh, points and sermon titles the first point is Passover explained okay that's that's it and guess what I'm going to do I'm going to explain the Passover what it's all about so basically the Passover happened in 1300 BC so 1300 years before Jesus roughly if Jesus was 2000 years before us that's 3300 years ago and basically what happened was the Israelites were slaves in Egypt they'd been slaves for 210 years Moses comes to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, says, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, no. And then Moses says, well, we're going to send these plagues. And they'd send a plague. And then Pharaoh would be like, oh, I don't like the plague. You can let the people go. And then the plague would stop. And then he'd say, oh, no, actually, we're not letting the people go. And then there'll be another plague coming, another plague coming, another plague coming. So there's eventually 10 plagues. And the 10th plague is is the big one. It's the death of all firstborn sons in Egypt. Firstborn sons of everyone, all people, animals, livestock, they were going to be killed. An angel of death was going to go around and kill all firstborn sons. Now, I can remember learning about this in Sunday school. You know, For those of you who are teachers in, in, in kids' work, like kids remember stuff. I remember it was like six, I don't know, five or six, learning about this. I'm putting my hand up saying, excuse me miss, uh, I am a firstborn son. And I I, I don't know what it is. I can remember one of my friends in my class saying, Ha ha, you would have got killed then. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then the Sunday school teacher continues with the story and tells us how God told the Israelites to kill a lamb and smear its blood on the doorpost of the houses. And if they did that, the angel of death came along, killing the firstborn sons, would pass over those houses, hence the name Passover. It would pass over those households with the blood on the doorposts, and the firstborn sons of those households would be spared. So as soon as I heard that, I turned to my friend, ah, blood of the lamb, I'm saved, I'm all right, I'm good. So I was like, yes, I was very happy about that. So I got one over on my friend. But on that evening, when... You know, that the angel of death was coming, was killing those firstborn sons, and people had put the blood of the lamb, they'd killed this lamb, they'd put it in their doorpost, and he was passing over their houses, the Israelites. God told them to have a meal, a very specific meal. And what they were to do was they were to roast and eat the lamb that they'd killed to smoke, smear the blood on the doorpost with bitter herbs. Now the bitter herbs was to remind them of the bitterness of slavery that they'd gone through in the last 210 years. And they were to have it with unleavened bread, which is basically bread without yeast. And that was to remind them of the, how quickly they had to leave Egypt whenever Pharaoh said you can go. Because anything you make bread, the slow thing in making bread is the yeast. So if you you don't put yeast in it, it's much quicker to make bread. But if you're using yeast, you have to wait till it rises. So that's what that signified. And this meal became known as the Passover meal because it was the meal they had while the angel of death was passing over their houses because they had the blood smeared on their doorposts. And it was originally designed to be eaten. The people originally were supposed to have their cloak on, their sandals on and their staff in their hand ready to go. That's how they were to eat it. And then God told them, I want you to celebrate Passover, this meal, every year around early April with a one-week festival. And the centerpiece of, of this festival, this one-week festival, was the Passover meal with the, the lamb, the bitter herbs, the unleavened bread, and some glasses of, or cups of, of wine. And they were to do that because it reminded God's people of its central event it reminded them of the angel of death passing over these firstborn sons so that they were saved. And which eventually led to them leaving Egypt and being freed from slavery. So God told them to celebrate it every year and they did. So by Jesus' time people had been celebrating this Passover festival every year for 1,300 years. Okay, every year people would be doing it. Around April time, they'd have this big one-week festival. Thousands of people from all over Israel would flow into Jerusalem at this time for Passover. Now, the population, we believe, of Jerusalem at that time would have tripled. Every year around early April, when you had Passover, triple the population in Jerusalem. The place was packed. If you wanted to stay there, there wasn't a bed to stay in the whole place. It was rammed. One historian, Josephus, who was actually around at the same time the gospel writers wrote the gospels, writes that on Passover, the population of Jerusalem swelled to more than 2 million people as Jews made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now, I don't know how he calculated that. I don't know how accurate that is. But I think it's safe to say Jerusalem was absolutely heaving when it came to Passover. And this last stuff we're talking about happened at Passover. And what Jesus does, which Jesus goes to his disciples and he says, um, I want you to find a fully furnished room for 13 plus people where we can eat the Passover meal. Mm -hmm. Now the disciples, Peter and John would be like thinking, mate, I really hope you've done some, you've pre-booked this or something because like there is no chance you're getting this last minute. Like this place is heaven." Uh, you know, he would absolutely would have had to book this in advance, unless you're Jesus. So, um, But Jesus, we don't quite know if, you know, he had something pre-prepared or whether this was just the Holy Spirit and just preparing a place for it. We don't know. It could have been either. It doesn't really matter. Jesus tells them where to go, tells them, to meet this guy with a jar of water and everything, and he has to go there. And they, and they eventually find this room fully re- furnished, all ready to go with couches and a nice table, everything good to go. So they get to the room. And they begin to have the Passover meal. Now, the normal procedure at the Passover meal, which actually isn't included in this passage, the normal procedure at the Passover meal was to have an opening prayer. You'd start with a prayer, which was then followed by the first of four cups of wine, which would have been passed around. You'd have a, like a drink each. And, and you'd also have with that first cup of wine, there'd be a dish of herbs and sauce, which would, would go around as well. Then after that, the story of the Passover was recited by someone. Then everyone sang Psalm 113 together. And then the second cup of wine was passed around everyone and that was was drank. After that there was another prayer or kind of kind of grace really for the main course and then the main course was eaten of roast lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs and then after that a further prayer was prayed and then the third cup of wine was passed around and drank yeah lots of wine at the Passover meal Then they would have sang together Psalms 114 to 118 together, and then the fourth cup of wine was passed around and drank. And at the end of the meal, someone was pre-prepared to ask, why is this night different from all other nights? And then someone would respond by telling the Exodus story. That was pretty much how the Passover meal, the, the centerpiece of the Passover festival was conducted every year. And the disciples and Jesus would have done it many times and would have been very, very familiar with it. So God had, God had told this people, it's really important that you keep observing this annual ritual with its story and supper and songs, because it kept their salvation from slavery at the center of their identity, at the center of who they were. It was really important. So Jews had been celebrating Passover for 1,300 years. But what makes this one so different is what Jesus says at it and what it means. So let's look at that now. Let's look at the Last Supper explained. Okay, so what Jesus did at this Passover was amazing, right? He he took the normal Passover meal procedure and he changed it. Okay, so he took the bread, which would have been sitting on the table, and, and he took one of the first two cups of wine. We're not totally sure whether it was the first one that came around or the second one. And he took that. He took these two things, which would have normally would have went round and everybody knew what he passed around. He took these parts of the Passover meal and reinterpreted them, saying his body, symbolized by the bread, was the fulfillment and the replacement for the Passover lamb. And his blood, symbolized by the wine, would be shed when he would die as our Passover lamb. Now, we don't know... If after Jesus did this, he was like, right, let's have lamb. Let's have the rest of the meal. You know, we, we don't know if he carried on with the rest of the meal or whether he said, yeah, we don't need that anymore. Like he, he may have done either. We don't know. We just, we just aren't told. But that's the bit that we're told in Luke because that's the important bit. That's the bit we need to get. So this was no normal Passover. Jesus was taking it and giving it. This thing that had lasted for 1,300 years, he was taking it and giving it a new meaning. Like Jesus, he was saying, I am the Passover sacrifice now. I am your Passover sacrifice now through his death as the Lamb of God, through his blood shed on the wooden cross rather than on the wooden doorframes of Egypt, we are saved from death. But not only that, we get to set free to go to God's promised kingdom. That's what this is all about. That's what he's reinterpreting this about. And the Last Supper is massively important because it marked the the end of the Mosaic covenant, or or it's always known as the old covenant, and mark the beginning of the new covenant, which the prophet Jeremiah prophesied about 600 years before Jesus. This is what Jeremiah prophesied 600 years before Jesus. I love this passage, one of my favorite passages of the Bible. Jeremiah says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like a covenant I made with our ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You know, I just that line of God writing his laws on our minds and our hearts, like I, I, I kind of get that. I remember going to America um, when I was 21 and if there was ever an opportunity for me to completely walk away from the faith, that would have been it. And, and I remember getting there and, and I, I just... After about a month of being there, I was just drawn to read my Bible. I just had to go and read my Bible. There was no one making me do it. There was no one else doing it. There was just something in me I couldn't explain that was like drawing me back. And I, honestly, I, I think that's what this is. It's like when God saves us, he, he writes his law in our, in, our, in our minds and in our hearts. There's something compelling that just draws us to him and keeps drawing us to him. In verse 19, obviously, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of him. And that's why we take bread and wine to remember Jesus. Uh, it's interesting what we, what we take the word remember to mean. Sometimes I wonder if we, like, we, we kind of... We kind of model our our, our, Lord, our, you know, our our communion on, like, you know, remembrance someday. You know, we kind of, it's like, it's solemn. It's very, uh, lest we forget. I think, and oftentimes we, we kind of think of remember as, like, not forgetting. You know, it's like, oh, yes, right, now I remember. Yeah, forgot about the Jesus thing. Yeah, now I remember. And I think... In this passage, I think remember means much more than just that. Remember here means to, to reenact, in a sense, to, to participate once again. It means to kind of recall to our minds and represent before God an event in the past. So it kind of becomes here and now again. Like it's It's something. So it's more than just remembering a fact. It's, it's realizing its effects today. It's, it's realizing afresh that I am part of God's people. Jesus has saved me. His law is written on my mind and in my heart. I am free from the power of sin and death. I have the Holy Spirit living within me. It's realizing that these things are true now and that they've all come about because of the new covenant prophesied by Jeremiah, which Jesus says here has arrived through him. That's what it means to remember uh, remember him when we take bread and wine so i want to just talk briefly at the end just about at, our attitude when we approach communion today i remember uh the first time i ever had communion bread and wine i'm, I'm talking about here uh was when i was like i think like 12 i was at my friend's church it was like a liberal anglican church she wasn't a Christian, at least I didn't think she was a Christian by the way she lived anyway. Um, and we were there, I don't know why we were there, I mean she would occasionally go to church, she, like it wasn't a big part of her life, and they, they just the service is going on, da, 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 and then it's communion time, and everyone just kind of has communion, and she was like, well, do you want to come? And I was like, really? Am I allowed? Because like in my church it was very much, you know, you know, you become a Christian, you need to get a special little card, you know, my church, to, to, to do communion, oh, that was really good, so I was like, really? I'm allowed Communion? Uh, and I, I kind of... It was like a bit of a rebellious thing to do. Like a rebellious teenage thing to do. Yes, I'm going to have communion. I come and tell my parents. <laughs> I didn't do the card. So uh, so yeah, I, like, yeah cool so, so I follow her up to the front. Before I knew it, I'm kneeling at some altar. Um, I, I've got some bread put in. Eat the bread. Right? Eat the bread. You know, Eat the wine. It's like, whoa! what? It's like, what was in that wine? Said, oh, it's 70% alcohol. Are you it? 70% alcohol. Said, yeah, cleans the cups. Oh, Wow! So I'm there. I've just had communion. I'm thinking I'm the most rebellious person ever. You know, go back, tell my parents this. But I remember looking around, and it was like, it was this thing that just everybody did, but no one really thought much about. It was like, you know, you sing this song, then you go get your bread and your wine, and then you go sing another song. There wasn't much thought. It was, was in a way, it was a little bit flippant. It was just like, yeah, the thing we do. And I remember even then, sitting in my rebellious state, thinking, ah, just do 't know if that 's the right attitude for this you know i don 't like, I think there should be something more to this and then I remember when I went to uni um, a number of years later, and I went to the tr- my church at uni was an evangelical church um, it, was, it used to be a brethren church, so they would have this separate service early in the morning, which I sometimes went to separate from the main family service and it was, a, it was a breaking of bread service, which was basically just like half an hour service, open, there was no music, there was nothing, there was nothing planned, people would just be there. They'd just share pray prayer out, share some things, and then right at the end, someone would get up very solemnly, very calmly very quietly you know in silence would break the bread very kind of reverently and give it out we'd have the bread and eat it in silence and and then we'd have the the wine we'd pour it out and i I remember thinking looking at that thinking wow there's real reverence in this like wow people really respect this this is this is good i like i i can see I can see why we do this, this real respect and honor for, for the Lord, for the Lord's table, for the bread and the wine. Uh, and, and it kind of really affected me that. I thought, this is, this is good. This is, this is a good way of doing this. And, and I think sometimes in younger churches, in more charismatic churches, we can be a little bit like, yeah, bread and wine, whoa! But uh, having some reverence and respect, it's really important that we don't lose that as well. Um, but I, I remember that service, those breaking of bread services. Yeah, the kids getting tired of listening to me. <laughs> oh, right, okay. There's going to be lots of banging. So, yeah, okay. The door is closed now. <laughs> so, um, But I remember in that breaking of bread service, like just thinking, yeah, it's good, there's respect, there's reverence, but it's all a bit dour. You know, it's a bit like a funeral. And I remember being in this service, and, and sometimes at the end of those breaking of bread services at my church at uni, I just, wanted to, I just wanted someone to stand up and say, Hey everyone, I've got some news. He rose again. Yes, let's party everyone. And you know, we just spent five minutes at the end of the service partying, you know, jumping around the place and dancing. It was an old brethren church, so that was never going to happen. But, like, I just felt like it would be such an appropriate way. You know, we've had respect, reverence, the pain Jesus has through. And then we party. Yes, resurrection. I thought that would be great. And I think, for me, when I approach communion, yeah, there's sadness. You know, but there's also joy. You know, Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed for our sins. You know, there's sadness for the price he had to pay. But there's also joy in that he triumphed. He won. Like, he rose again, you know. And I think it's important that we have that uh, as well no pressure Phil and Claire, when you to commune later so uh, <laughs> it's like right okay how are we doing this there and their minds are thinking okay uh, uh. <laughs> but you know i think when it comes to approaching communion i think probably a helpful way to to approach communion is it's kind of like how we approach like a really nice meal in an expensive restaurant when we were back in Northern Ireland a few weeks ago, uh, my mum had some vouchers for this really expensive restaurant, or else there's no way we would have went. Uh, so we went to this really nice expensive restaurant and uh, we were really looking forward to it. And When we got there, you know, it just didn't disappoint, it, it was really good, but when we got there, you know, we, we didn't scoff the meal like a McDonald's hamburger and leave You know, a few minutes later. You, know, there, you don't do that with, with that kind of a meal when you've spent a lot of money. No, we took our time. You know, we were aware of the, of the cost, you know, of the meal. I'm looking at the menu. I'm like, eh, but heck, you can spend that much on, like, I mean, of course, well. And we were aware of the cost. We were aware of the quality of the meal. But we savored it, you know. We enjoyed it. And, and I think that's how we to approach communion. With reverence, yes. With appreciation of the cost of what Jesus did, yeah. But with joy. Because he won. He triumphed over sin and death. Which means if we're in him... We're going to triumph over sin and death one day too. And that calls for celebration in my book. So I'm up for celebration with communion. Now, just as I finish, just, you know, preparing this sermon, I think for me, it's, it's really made me appreciate communion once again. Um, you know, when you, when you do something regularly, you can kind of end up going through the motions a bit. I think I've, I've, I've got that a little bit myself. But as I've been preparing this, I've been reminded of just how powerful communion is I mean, Paul says when we take communion, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. I mean, how powerful is that? I mean, we're proclaiming to the world, Jesus has died, he has rose, he is king, we are his. I mean, that's what we're saying to the world when we take communion. But I think also, I've, I've also been reminded of the, the great unity there is in communion. You know, when we take communion later this morning... Um we will be, we'll be joining with millions of other believers across the globe who are also taking communion today. And I think for me, just as I've thought about that, it reminds me that it's not all about me. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you can have that with communion. We, we, we can be there, eyes closed, having our own little moment. Lord, thank you for saving me from my sins. And thank you for letting me come to... But actually, it's a, it's a, it's a people of God thing. You know, we are part of something bigger, part of a bigger church. We're part of the people of God in the world. And I I think it's just good to be reminded of that. And that's what communion does. And finally, I just, the thing that just came to me, just as we finish is communion is not just about Jesus saving us from our sins, but it's about the promised kingdom of God that we will one day go to. You know, like when, when Passover happened, it wasn't just that the firstborn sons were saved from death it led to the people going to the promised land. And so sometimes we can forget that. It's not just about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins so he can be saved. It's about the promised kingdom that is coming for us. And, and, you know, when we get there, when we get to that promised kingdom, there is going to be one almighty feast, let me tell you. Actually, there's going to be loads of feasts. but There's going to be one almighty feast. And I love Matthew, 11, Matthew 8 verse 11 says this about that feast. He say, Jesus says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that going to be a great feast to be at? Like, oh, I'm looking forward to that. We have a great hope. That is what communion speaks of, a great assurance that we're going to go be with the Lord. It's going to be an amazing time. There's going to be meals with Jesus in heaven. Amen to that. What a fitting way to finish this sermon series, you know. It's not the end. There's going to be more.